Welcome in, everybody, to the Flagship Podcast. I am Chip Brown of Horns247.com, joined by our managing editor, the one and only Taylor Estes. Taylor, we are recapping Big 12 football media days, and uh, we spent a couple of quality days inside AT&T Stadium in Arlington, that massive uh, stadium where Texas once played in a Big 12 championship game. Remember that back in what? 2018. 2018. Yeah, I do remember that. I especially remember the prime rib uh, cutting station and the mac and cheese that they had in the press box that was phenomenal. And I ate it at like eight o'clock in the morning. But, well, yeah, good times. Uh, Texas fans would love to to get that experience again. And uh, so we go up every year to Big 12 Football Media Days, hear from the coaches, the players, and try to gauge who's got it and who doesn't. And we certainly listened to the Longhorns. Uh, they brought Bijan Robinson, Roshan Johnson, DeMarvian Overshawn, Ovia Gofu, and Jordan Whittington was there for the Champions for Life uh, segment that the Big 12 Conference does and honoring uh different players from different teams for the work that they do in the community and, and just for their, uh, you know, all around good, uh, good guyness. Mm -hmm. And, and so you also had uh, Jay Witt up there. And I mean, I guess a couple of things that stood out to me, Taylor, first and foremost was Steve Sarkeesian talking about um, his team building. And he's been kind of on this theme for a while that he didn't do a good enough job connecting players and and players and coaches when they were displaced while their football complex was being worked on uh, at this time last year. They didn't move in uh, to that new uh, Moncrief DKR South until August. And so, you know, what we heard this go around was that there's been a huge emphasis placed on team building. And one of the things that Steve Sarkeesian is doing is something that Dick Tomey, uh, one of the great team builders, former coaches, uh, former head coach at, at Hawaii, Arizona. And then he came and worked with Mac Brown in 2004 is to get players in subgroups and have them tell their life story to each other so that they get to know each other, get to know what, each guy's all about, and they're doing that. They're doing that on Wednesdays in subgroups. Steve Sarkeesian, I asked him, I said, do you do it by position? He said, we mix it up every week. So it's that's an interesting nuance because Steve Sarkeesian has said there's been a big emphasis placed on team building because clearly this team wasn't together enough when adversity struck last year. It seemed like when adversity struck, this team melted. And so, you know, these are the little things. It's not anything that you're going to go put Texas at the top of the prediction polls for. But I thought that was interesting, Taylor. It was interesting, Chip. And it's um, I feel like, as you mentioned, you know, it's kind of the theme of the offseason for Steve Sarkeesian is not just, you know, talking about the team building, but I really think admitting some of the mistakes that he made in year one. And that's something that a lot of head coaches, um, especially I think college and, you know, pro head coaches sometimes struggle with because, I mean, it's a very, you know, 
ego type of big ego type of job. I mean, it's and you kind of almost have to have that type of confidence in yourself to make it, you know, at at this type of level of the coaching game. And so, you know, it's rare that you really hear co- coaches openly admit to where they have made mistakes and errors in their past. And I think that Steve Sarkeesian has really owned a lot of the errors and taken a lot of the accountability for um, the team kind of crumbling last season in those when adversity struck and when um, things weren't going perfectly in their favor. And so it it definitely was interesting to hear more about the ins and outs of how he's been building the team or helping the team build together. And then also, you know, the, there's a trickle down effect when the head coach is making that type of effort that comes onto the team that I think we're also seeing with, you know, Bijan Robinson admitting that he just started doing prayer groups, you know, in in practices and stuff. And that was something that he did on his own. Nobody told him to do that, but it started after the team building exercises, the Wednesday breakout groups. I like that Steve Sarkeesian kind of mixes it up and doesn't have it by position or you know, I think I think it's easier for players to get closer with people in their position group because they spend the most time around them, you know, in meeting rooms and all of that. But I think you know, the fact that it's the whole team kind of coming together in different groups really is trying to, you know, tell everybody's stories, what, what they've been through in their life. That's the type of culture that I think will breed player leadership as well, because people are you know, I feel when you have a personal connection to somebody or when you have a, a, a even a similar connection or a familiar connection, if you understand, relate to somebody, if you understand things in their lives, maybe you've gone through something similar, you, you automatically start building a closer bond with that people for more times than not. And so I think that the big issue last season for Texas was it was a fractured locker room at times. The fact, you know, the Bo Davis rant that never should have seen the light of day, but it did. That was really the epitome of of uh, the fractured locker room. The fact that, that that video ever did see the light of day, it needed to be shown. You know, I, I don't know what the, the thought process was behind it, if it was going to make Bo Davis look bad. If anything, it made the players look bad that they would let that, you know, get out of the locker room. But um, I think that this is a different vibe that you're hearing. You know, last year at Big 12 Media Days, Steve Sarkeesian was talking about how it doesn't, you know, it doesn't take culture doesn't happen overnight. It takes a while. You have to really be ingrained in it and build it and um, and want to be accepting of it and want to be involved in it. And this year, I feel like the tone is different, which is a good thing because you want to hear a different tone from year one to year two, especially if you're coming out of a season that. You, you didn't make a bowl game and it was a five and seven season, a very disappointing season for Texas. It was very interesting to hear a lot of that, but I think that's a very positive sign, Chip, in my opinion, for seeing the culture. You know, last last year we were hearing about the culture. Now I feel like we're kind of seeing it a little bit more. And this is a good example of that. Yeah. And Steve Sarkeesian has been sort of repeating the story about how he had uh, a mentor in Pete Carroll who told him, look, when you take over a program, you can go one of two directions. You can try and keep it as familiar to them um, and do what the former coaching staff was doing, or you can just start working in how you're going to run it, your culture, everything, and you're going to run into more bumps in the road. And, you know, in doing that, obviously Texas went five and seven. He was quick to to note that Pete Carroll went six and six in his first year at USC, then went to seven straight 
BCS bowl games and mentioned that Nick Saban went seven and six in his first year at Alabama and has now gone on to win uh, a half dozen national championships. So, um, you know, Steve Sarkeesian got his his year one bump in the road and now uh, Texas fans. And I think he expects that arrow to start going up one area that needs to absolutely improve is the defense. You mentioned Bo Davis. Bo Davis got a raise in the offseason. I thought one of the more interesting comments from Big 12 Football Media Days was Steve Sarkeesian saying, Bo Davis is the best defensive line coach in the country. Our defensive line needs to start playing like that. And then he mentioned that it took a while for the players on the defensive line to build a rapport and get used to Bo Davis's coaching style. Bo Davis, obviously not a touchy feely coach. He is an in your face coach. He's tough. And, and Everyone so when he saw that video knows it now too, you know, <laughs> right, right. And, you know, two of the guys we're hearing a lot about in terms of big time off season is Byron Murphy and Alfred Collins. And I do think there is something to be said for this defense. We saw progress uh, from a guy like Alfred Collins to at the end of um, you know the 20, uh, 2019 season in that Alamo Bowl, and then um, you know or the 2020, 2020 season, excuse yeah, me. Against, yeah, and then last season we didn't see it. And there's something to be said for all the coaching change, all the scheme change that has occurred with Tom Herman changing out coordinators and staff members, then Steve Sarkeesian coming in bringing his his staff and a new defense. So um, I think the, the underlying theme there is that guys are going to be more comfortable in this defense in year two. They, they better be because after giving up 200 yards per game, rushing 5.2 yards per carry 31 points per game, uh, this defense has got to take massive steps and, um, we're continuing to hear Steve Sarkeesian talking about playing tighter coverage to help the pass rush. We know that uh, there's been, he's said, we're going to play more man to free up a safety to come down into the box to help stop the run or to help blitz if necessary. And that means uh, Deshaun Jameson, Ryan Watts, uh, Jalen Gilbo still with this football team. Um, Ishmael Ibrahim. I mean, these are guys, Gilbo and Ibrahim have been suspended, but they are the long, tall corners that that this coaching staff has wanted in recruiting. Uh, those guys got to get it together and become better teammates. And, and then, you know, all the adjustments of moving guys to safety from other positions, the, the pass coverage has got to be better and it's got to be tighter, Steve Sarkeesian says, and that will enable a better pass rush and they're going to move DeMarvey and Overshawn around, which Chris Ash did in uh, Overshawn's first year in his transition from safety to linebacker. We didn't see it much last year. Um, Overshawn was really productive two seasons ago when they were moving him around. Uh, so now we can expect to see him shooting gaps, coming off the edge, doing whatever it takes to help uh, get some pressure on the quarterback because we know how fast DeMarvey and Overshawn is. Right. Yeah. He's a safety speed playing linebacker. But in when you look at a guy like DeMarvian Overshawn Chip, 
when we're talking about the progression on defense that we're expecting to see, I think from year one to year two, you have to look at how many defensive coordinators and position coaches he's played for. I mean, you, you think about he's had what three defensive coordinators in, um, you know, his five, this is, he's entering year five at Texas. Yep. So three defensive coordinators he had, uh, he started off the safety, moved to linebacker, has had several position coaches too. That type of those that amount of transition, I feel like sometimes gets overlooked and it shouldn't because it is really substantial, especially for a guy like DeMarvin Overshawn, who did finally move to linebacker. I know that Todd Orlando and the defensive staff under Tom Herman's first staff really wanted him to play linebacker, but he was set on playing safety. Chris Ash did a successful job in convincing DeMarvin Overshawn that his future probably is better at linebacker than it is at safety. He listened, made that transition, huge trans transition to begin with right there. But then, you know, all of the, the coaching changes, scheme changes, all of that, that really does play, make an impact on, on any player in at the college level. And so entering year two under Pete Kwiatkowski's defense, same position coaches uh, across the board on the defensive side of the ball, that to me thinks makes me automatically think this defense will be better this year than it was last year. But there's still so many questions. It's and it was so bad at times last year. It's really hard to see what or expect a higher ceiling, much higher ceiling, I should say. I think you expect improvement, but how much improvement do you really expect to see when it was so poor last year? I just don't know. And I think until the safety position really gets figured out, I think that's going to be the critical possibly thorn in the side of the defensive staff leading up to the season. If that position does not get figured out, then this defense is not going to be much more successful. I feel like, I feel like it'll be a little bit more because guys know what they're supposed to be doing. But if the back end of your defense is not performing at this, even a remotely same level that the front end is, then it's a liability. And that was a liability for Texas last year, the safety position, the safety play. I mean, Michael Griffin, if you talk to him, if you talk to him away from a camera, you'll hear the truth of what he felt about the safety position last season. So that, well, that's even if you still... listen to him on the flagship podcast, right. he, didn't, yeah. he didn't hold yeah. back much there either. No, he didn't. And then when we talked to him, without the camera on, he really didn't hold back. So yes, this, that still is a big question. I still think that, you know, I, the fact that there is going to be a little bit more experience in the secondary with Anthony, Anthony Cook really understanding the whole secondary, it seems like with him kind of making that transition from cornerback to nickel to now safety, I think that should help, but it's still a question mark. Uh, at the end of the day, though, I think just the consistency among the coaching staff is huge. You mentioned Bo Davis. I mean, you know, that you're right. I mean, I, I don't necessarily think that Steve Sarkeesian is wrong when he's saying that Bo da Davis is one of the top defensive line coaches in, in the country. He's proven it at every place he's been. I mean, he was at Texas before and the defensive line was, was pretty solid and his, you know, minimal time that he was on Mac Brown staff there. But there's, I think that the consistency among the staff should ultimately breed better, better results on the defensive side of the ball. The safety position still remains that one, though, that I just it's hard until I see it. It's going to be very difficult for me to expect a ton of greatness or a vast, you know, substantial improvement there. Yeah. And and I think we that's justified. I mean, we've heard a lot about Jalen Ford. One of my favorite questions to ask players at Big 12 Football Media Days is give me a player who could surprise 
in the upcoming season. And Jalen Jalen Ford's name got mentioned by Roshan Johnson of all people. Right. Um, a Baron Sorrell got mentioned by Demarvian Overshawn and Ovia Gofu and by Roshan Johnson. And then freshman offensive lineman Kelvin Banks got mentioned uh, by Roshan Johnson. But I think when you look at, um, uh, you know, who can you plant your flag and say, this guy is going to be an impact guy on defense? I think uh, Byron Murphy for sure. It sounds like Tavondre Sweat has come around. I think he was frustrated with all the coaching change and having to learn all the new systems. And and I think he's he's bought in, which is huge because he's huge. Right. And Alfred Collins. I mean, I've written in the Insider that that it's like the light bulb has turned on for Alfred Collins because he knows he's NFL draft eligible after the 2022 season, and he seems to be approaching his offseason work or. Uh, the weight room, like it's a contract year and it is for him it if is. he has the kind of year that uh, he's capable of having. And so I think you look at that, but then at linebacker, you have DeMarvian Overshawn, there's got to be more. And uh, and Jalen Ford is the guy who everyone is saying is ready. He was the third leading tackler on the team. We mentioned this a lot here on the flagship podcast. He was the third leading tackler on the team last year and he only started two games right the, coming the off the bench <laughs> yeah he's ready he's ready it's time and then i thought you know something interesting obviously one of the seven transfers who came in uh this summer is fcs linebacker uh tucker diamante or uh diamante, diamante tucker dorsey i always screw up his name dtd <laughs> um Diamante Tucker Dorsey, who came in from James Madison, he's only 5'10", or they list him at 5'10". He may be smaller than that, um, 215. But, man, DeMarvian Overshawn said this guy's work ethic is insane, and he's already telling DeMarvian Overshawn when he's wrong, and Overshawn's telling him when, you know, when he's wrong. But it wasn't that they're picking at each other. It's that this guy has this incredible work ethic, already has learned the defense, and is comfortable enough as a veteran guy because he's a graduate transfer that he's telling guys what's up and and i've talked to team sources who say this guy's football iq um you know diamante tucker dorsey is off the charts so who knows what this guy can bring to the table but they feel good about him and so if you can stack feeling good about jalen ford with um you know, Diamante Tucker Dorsey and DeMarvian Overshawn, that's a huge step in the right direction. Obviously, you mentioned the safeties, the corners. We got new corners. Um, Ryan Watts, the six foot three corner from Ohio State, playing the boundary. Michael Griffin says he's a safety. We'll see if he can hold up a corner. And then Jade Barron, one of the guys I love uh, at nickel. And, and then our guy, Michael Taft, the walk on Arch Manning official visit host is uh is backing up uh Jody Barron at, at Nickel. I'm kind of excited to see what Michael Taft brings in in fall camp. But uh Taylor, obviously we started with the defense because the defense was the worst side of the ball for Texas last year and we're trying to find ways for that defense to improve. That's the question. You bring in Gary Patterson, what kind of impact can he have? It was interesting, Ovia Gofu said the guy 
during offseason conditioning was giving him pass rushing tips and technique ideas. And, and I mean, the guy certainly knows his stuff. So we'll right. see what, what Gary Patterson can bring um, when we see this defense unveiled against Louisiana Monroe on September 3rd. But uh, you got to think that having Gary Patterson on your sideline uh, in your meeting rooms, breaking down film for you, doing self-scout and opponent scout can only help. Yeah. And, and Steve Sarkeesian talked a little bit about that in the breakout interviews about, you know, he getting the, 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 in, the input from Gary Patterson, even from the, what he saw from the offense on Texas last season, because he was like, this is what I would do to defend your offense. This is what I would do to do this. And he's not only telling that to help the offense, it also is crucial for the defense too, because to have a coach who is game planned against you sounds weird to say adding him to your staff is a good idea, you know, because they're, they competed against one another, but he brings that, that side of the equation too. And that yeah, Steve Sarkeesian said, I like Gary Patterson because he's a thorn in my side. Yes. He's one of the defensive guys who knows how to, how to game plan against us. Yeah. And so that, that could be used to the advantage of both the offense and the defense. It's going to be fascinating to watch chip before we get to talking a little bit more on the offensive side of the ball, let's take a really quick break, but stick around because we have a lot more football talk coming up here, including maybe some realignment talk uh, with chip reporting that in the insider, the latest status of Texas and Oklahoma's pending move to the SEC. So stay tuned. We will be right back. Chip, let's talk about, I think the talk of media days when we're talking about the offense, surprisingly wasn't totally quarterback heavy, which is a little surprising. I think a lot of the things that people were talking about were those young offensive linemen that Texas added in the summer months and the one that stands out the most to me when Texas released their updated roster on day one of Big 12 Media Days was I saw what Cam Williams, the true freshman offensive lineman from Duncanville, what he was listed at. He was listed at six foot seven, 374 pounds, which some people may hear that and be like, that's too big. He's too heavy. However, I want to tell you this. When I saw that, that his, his measurements, I reached out to a source and was like, my gosh, like this is a massive human being. And the source was like, what's crazy is he's a freak athlete too. And that to me, it's kind of goes in line with what you've said. You've talked to sources prior to him even enrolling at Texas about how, you know, NFL teams would probably salivate at <laughs> what Cam Williams looks like as a like physical, you know, specimen. But the fact that he's such a freak athlete too. Plus, we had we heard a lot of the players at pretty much every single player there, Bijan Robinson, Demarvian Overshawn, Ovia Gofu, and Roshan Johnson all talked about that these guys came in and were just dogs in the weight room. They're obviously young, but still they came in ready to grind. You I mean, the last thing you want to do is rely on true freshman offensive linemen, but knowing that those guys came in ready to really work to the point where Bijan Robbins has told a story that he was talking to Kelvin Banks in one summer in the weight room one day, was kind of like joking around with him. He made a joking comment and Kelvin Banks looked at him like, what? And Bijan was like, golly, like that that's the type of like dog mentality we have. And he was like that, that was a welcome sight to see that. I thought it was funny that he, when he told that story, because that's a true freshman 
talking to a guy who's one of the, you know, high or reacting to a guy who's a Heisman front runner, honestly, entering <laughs> this season. That's huge. And that's the type of mentality Texas needs on the offensive line. Obviously, very, very young still, but those offensive linemen seem to be all that they were cracked up to be as recruits ever since they've enrolled this summer. Yeah. And when you think about a 50% hit rate, remember Steve Sarkeesian mm -hmm. said, you know, we're bringing in seven offensive linemen and you got to think if, if, if we hit on 50%, that's, that's good. Mm -hmm. Um, because that's typically how many players in your recruiting class end up being true impact players, difference makers. But it does sound like there, there's a chance that it's going to be a higher than 50% hit rate with this offensive line group because I'm hearing the same thing. I've reported in the Insider that Devin Campbell, Kelvin Banks have been consistently praised by teammates um, and coaches like what they're seeing in terms of the work ethic that they came in in shape. Now, Cam Williams came in at 380. He's down to right. 374. So, but his length, I mean, Steve Sarkeesian talked about having Evan Neal at Alabama walk in as a true freshman, and he started from day one. And he said it's the two most difficult positions to play in football as true freshmen are quarterback and offensive line. Yet he didn't have much bad to say about this group. Now, he said, I don't like to put expectations on first year players, but I'm, he said, I'm really pleased with what we've seen so far. And, and behind the scenes, I'm hearing this is the kind of haul that they were absolutely looking for. Not just big guys, but big guys with good feet who can move, who can, you know, drop, step, and, protect the passer and not just get deer in the headlights and lock up and have guys go, you know, around them inside of them. Um, my God, how many twists and stunts has have been successful against Texas's offensive line and our man, Dan Neal, the all American and college football hall of fame nominee saying, if you don't have a guy in front of you, it means another guy's coming around the corner. Uh, so you better be ready. And, and Texas hasn't been ready. I mean, Alex Grinch feasted on twists and stunts uh, at Oklahoma against this uh, Texas offensive line. So that those are positives. Those are positives. I agree. If if we're going to start on the offense, you got to start with the biggest problem area. That's offensive line. And we're hearing very good things. Now they got to put on the pads. They got to make it through practices. We got to see what, how many snaps they're effective in this heat. Uh, it's going to be hot September 3rd, September 10th, September 17th. How many snaps can these guys go? Because we're talking about potentially two true freshmen starting on the offensive line. And that's, that's both exciting and horrifying if you're a Texas fan, because uh, it means that you've got talent that's going to be really, really good. Uh, but it may not be really, really good right now. So let's see. You never right. know. We have seen yeah. guys like, you know, uh, Connor Williams, uh, Sam Cosme come in, uh, even uh, Derek Kerstetter play as true freshman and, and hold up. Now let's see uh, what we've got in this offensive line class in 2022.
Yeah, and I talked to former Oklahoma State offensive lineman, all Big 12 offensive lineman when he was there, Sam Mays, who now works in the media. He came up to me at Big 12 Media Days, and he, well, first of all, he's very much enthralled with Bijan Robinson. He's like, that kid is so special. And he came up to me and he's like, are there going to be any guys that can actually block for him this season for Texas? He's like, because he deserves it. And they need it because that guy could be, you know, the the make all for or the basically the guy for Texas offense to really like lead to the charge. Obviously, everyone expects that this year. And I I told him, I was like, you know, Texas is in a situation entering the season where they may be relying on two true freshman offensive linemen. And I was like, and you play he played offensive line at Oklahoma State in the early 2000s. I said to him, I was like, what what when you hear that, what do you think to yourself? And he said, that's scary. That's a scary thought. And he's like, not just for Bijan Robinson, but for those offensive linemen too. He said he remembers the first time that he played at uh, Oklahoma State where he was on the field. He was pretty young. He registered his freshman year, but he said the first time that he had his really bad game, he said he went home. He like just went to his parents' house because he was so, it really, really, really impacted him when he was you know, being asked to um, contribute as a redshirt freshman, he said that can really mess with the guy's psyche. It could really mess with guys, their how they end up, their trajectory, all of that. And he said, I hate hearing that. I hate hearing that for Bijan Robinson. And he's like, and I hate hearing that for those guys. He's like, I, he said, hearing that, I just hope those guys are, are from like a mental place, really, really in their own, but don't get in their own head basically and don't let the other stuff really impact him he's like because that could be really detrimental and hearing that from a former all big 12 offensive lineman i think was very crucial because i think chip and i can sit here and talk about how you don't want to start true freshman offensive linemen nobody wants to do that we can say it to her blue in the face but then fans will hear that texas has these five stars and they're like who cares they're five star you know it's like there's this there's a you know there's a reason for us continuing to say this is not the ideal situation. There's a reason why Steve Sarkeesian says that that is offensive line and quarterback are two of the positions that you don't necessarily want to have to be relying on guys because they're so much more challenging to really grasp a hold of from the high school to the college level. But that's where Texas is at. And so it's a it's still a massive question mark. You hope that once fall camp starts that some of these guys really hit the ground running, or you hope that some of the guys that have been on the roster for a while, finally the light bulb turns on because they're about to be replaced by a true freshman on the offensive line. So still that that's such a huge question to me, Chip. And I, I mean, I, I love seeing the roster numbers. It was cool to see how big Cam Williams is, but still it's such a major concern for Texas and probably the biggest concern because Bijan Robinson was asked straight up, can this offense work if this offensive line doesn't work? And he said, and I quote, no, it can't. It can't. That's the most important thing on the offense. If the line can't get it together on any team, you're very unlikely to do anything great on offense. I believe that when your offensive line is on and doing everything right, then everything else will take care of itself. Yeah, and this is, I mean, we watched Baylor last year go from being completely unable to run the football in year one under Dave Aranda, when they went two and seven, Aranda fires. Um, uh, oh gosh, Larry, uh, Fedora Fedora and brings in Jeff Grimes in that wide zone running scheme, which is, you know, offensive linemen going side to side, cut blocking, letting the running back pick the lane. And they're 
running back who played linebacker the year before ended up rushing for nearly 1500 yards. And, you know, you can sit there as a Texas fan and say, well, just run wide zone this year. You've got Bijan Robinson and, and Roshan Johnson just run wide zone. That's not what Steve Sarkeesian and Kyle flood do. They, mm -hmm. they are willing to recruit at the highest level to run pro style stuff. And they want offensive linemen who can zone block gap, um, you know, gap scheme, uh, you name it. And they're going to run counter power. They're going to run it all. And Steve right. Sarkeesian said, the more we run effectively, the harder we are to defend. He's not, he's not sacrificing that. So this is, this is going to be interesting because Bijan Robinson needs to have a big year because it's going to be his last in a Longhorn uniform. So you right. want to take advantage of having this um, incredible player and Roshan Johnson as well. We've talked about how Roshan Johnson is on NFL scouting radars and, and is probably moving up in their minds because he's such a valuable uh, player, not only in terms of being maybe a backup running back in the NFL, but plays on every single special team. So those kind of guys you'll take a flyer on because they uh, are so valuable in terms of your special teams uh, in, in the NFL. And you have to do both in the NFL. Every, every player will tell you if you're a receiver, running back, linebacker, you're going to be on special teams. And Taylor, I think um, the, the kismet that we're seeing, you know, Bijan and Roshan, it's interesting because when I asked them about the quarterback position, I said, are these guys, Hudson Card, Quinn Ewers, getting any more vocal because they're both quiet? They both said no, but that's where we can help. Mm -hmm. You know, we can we can be the vocal leaders if if those guys can just take care of what they have to take care of at their position. That tells me that these guys like their quarterbacks, and that's important because there was a lot of question about Quinn Ewers coming in. Is he going to fit in? You know, he reclassified to take NIL money at Ohio State. I think there's more to that story that, you know, doesn't reflect Quinn Ewers. I think, um, I think, you know, there may have been some family interest in that, in that NIL money. The bottom line is I think Quinn Ewers teammates like him and, and that's huge because you, you know, Steve Sarkeesian says it. Most every coach says it. The players will tell me who the starting quarterback is once fall camp uh, is underway by who they're willing to fight for, who they're who they're playing harder for, who they believe in more. They'll show it in their play. And so this is going to be fun to watch as Texas starts fall camp. But Steve Sarkeesian said that Quinn Ewers is showing in the limited time that coaches have with the players on the field during the summer and in meetings, Quinn Ewers is showing that he is more comfortable uh, in this offense. He's coming up with the right answers when he's being asked the questions. And that's, that's huge Taylor, because we felt Hudson card had a clear advantage having had one full season in this offense to, to knowing the nuances of it and the voluminous nature of it. And if Quinn Ewers can catch up, then this will be 
uh, a very interesting quarterback competition in fall camp. Yeah, and one thing that Steve Sarkeesian did say is because of the offseason changes to the offseason rules where the coaches are allowed to actually be a little bit more involved with summer workouts um, and, you know, being they're allowed to have a ball, you know, or whatever the the new rule is that was implemented this off or this year. He believes that he will probably name a starter or know who the starter is earlier in fall camp than he did last year. And um, that is all because they've been able to actually monitor a lot more of the progress and be a little a little bit more hands-on. When we say that, they're not having full-blown practices or anything, but they are allowed to be doing on-field position drills with players um, this summer too. So that's that's something to keep an eye on. You know, I think that in itself is showing him saying that to me makes me think that He's, he's seeing something from someone, obviously, and he he likes the competition that they do have. And Bijan Robinson was asked about that, too, asked if, you know, with the quarterback being the most important position in sports, according to Steve Sarkeesian, if Texas has enough of the guys to make that the most important, you know, the best position or one of the best positions on the teams and because they need it. And Bijan Robinson said, I think we have exactly what we need at quarterback. And he said, I know they're competing right now but they're competing because both of them are very talented guys and he said that he's next to them every day i see sorry i'm trying to pull it he goes i'm next to them every day and i see the improvement that they're both making and so it's going to you know i mean this is something that Bijan, as he said he's right next to him every single day i think it's good that to hear that though because i think the some people obviously anointed Quinn Ewers as a starter the minute that he announced that he was transferring to Texas from Ohio State. And then I think some people were wondering why there was no you know, decision made in, in spring practice or anything. But we've talked about this all the time. The best teams that Texas has fielded in the last 20-something years have been the most competitive at, at key positions. And with the quarterback, you know, you want competition from the quarterback. You don't want some guy to just come in and take over when he is yet to really play a substantial college snap yet. I mean, that would be a very, very negative uh, situation for Hudson Card if that had played out, in my opinion. So I think that, you know, it's going to be interesting to watch, but it does seem like Steve Sarkeesian is starting to get a little bit more of a, a grasp earlier so far, he think, at least according to him, you know, and, and he didn't say that definitively. He didn't set a date or anything like that, but it seems like he may be the changes in the offseason um, rules to allow coaches to be a, a, around the team more in practices. I think that has really helped him get a better understanding of who is doing what, who's doing what well, and then we'll see how it kind of plays out in fall camp. Yeah, and he was asked if he would start Hudson Card through the Alabama game to protect Quinn Ewers from having to face Will Anderson in that Alabama defense and Steve Sarkeesian said, if I have to protect certain players from certain teams, I'm in the wrong business or I've recruited the wrong guys. So I firmly believe that Steve Sarkeesian is going to play the quarterback who gives him the best chance to win that game, whether it means that quarterback is more mobile or more capable of throwing on the run because Texas has to slide the pocket or rely more on bootlegs and waggles and the kinds of things you do when you're trying to 
sort of hide deficiencies on your offensive line. Think back to the 2009 season with Colt McCoy and all the throwing he did outside the pocket to, to Jordan Shipley. Look, you as coaches, there's ways to hide your deficiencies. You still have to have the best quarterback on the field uh, to give you a chance in that game. And the players know who the best players are. They always right. do. Um, you know, Rick Barnes always talked about, I'd, I'd give the players before every season a blank sheet of paper and have them tell me how many minutes certain, you know, all the guys on the team should get. He's like, the players always know who should be playing. Right. And, and Steve Sarkeesian knows that he's not going to play games. Um, look, if Hudson cards, the better quarterback, he'll start period. If, when yours is the guy who gives them the best chance to win, yours is going to start, period. It's not going to be, hey, uh, Quinn, we're going to let you start off against UTSA. Okay? Yeah. <laughs> That's not no. going to happen. No. All right. And well, speaking of the SEC chip, real quick, you know, we're talking about Alabama, Texas facing Alabama. You wrote in the Insider last week after talking to sources about the impending move that Texas does have. Texas and Oklahoma to the SEC. I think this is a good chance to kind of let you unleash your knowledge to the listeners of the flagship podcast, because if you did not check out the insider um, from, I guess it was Wednesday's insider, we released it a day early, go back and check it out. There's a lot of, you know, meat inside there, but Chip, I think the, the viewers of the flagship probably want to hear the cliff notes a little bit of what the latest status is for Texas and Oklahoma's pending move to the SEC. Yeah, I mean, I, I think everyone was intrigued by new Big 12 commissioner Brett Yormark's comments when he was asked, <clears throat> is there any scenario in which Texas and Oklahoma could leave uh, the Big 12 before July 2025? And he said, I look forward to having conversations with those schools um, and maybe there's a win-win scenario. Um, you know, the remaining presidents in the big 12s win-win scenario is texas and ou pay all the money and then they can leave now obviously uh the thing to keep an eye on is if there is more realignment and the pac-12 is where everybody's looking right now because they are finishing up their 30-day exclusive negotiating window with fox and espn and i'm told fox is not even at the table that Fox has gone all in on the Big Ten. They're not bidding substantially on the Pac-12 at all. And that uh, is going to make things interesting because remember the Pac-12 presidents told their new commissioner, George Klyavkov, go get us the, tell us what our, our you know media rights deal, the best offer you can get. We want to know what it is. Well, they want to know what it is so that they can decide is there anything left here to stay for, or do we need to be uh, ramping up conversations with Brett Yormark in the big 12 and Brett Yormark? I mean, he didn't hide any uh, intentions at all. He said, we're open for business. And mm -hmm. he said, if, uh, if something needs to happen in the first 60 days that I'm on the job, he officially goes on the clock August 1st. He said, I'll be ready. And that totally aligns with the Pac-12's uh, 
you know, negotiating windows for their media rights package. So Taylor, I think we're uh, going to have a really good idea about what's going on with the PAC 12 here in the next 30 days. And if there is substantial realignment, meaning the big 12 merges with the PAC 12 or takes on four schools and there are changes to the bylaws or grant of rights, Texas and Oklahoma lawyers are going to argue we didn't sign those documents. Right. And they will say, uh, sorry, we're, we're out of here. Now, I still think it looks like the fall of 2024 um, because those penalties, as I lay out in the insider, are substantial. People don't realize there are penalties for in the bylaws, which it's a 99-year agreement that Texas and OU signed in 2012. Why? I'm sure UT officials are wondering now. Um, but those bylaws call for Texas to pay and Oklahoma to pay any school that leaves the Big 12 two years of revenue to leave, no matter when the media rights deal and the grant of rights deal expire. And then if Texas leaves before the grant of rights expires in July, 2025, there's another penalty on top of that two years of revenue, which is roughly 85 million. There would be another penalty on top of that uh, for Texas to pay. If, if it's only, if they leave in 2024, it would be one year of revenue and Big 12 lawyers will argue Texas and Oklahoma are worth 50% of the entire media agreement um, in the Big 12 and should pay that amount to leave. Now, Texas and OU's lawyers will say that's ridiculous, but you get the picture. So you're, you're watching to see if the Big 12 and the Pac-12 uh, realign in such a way that it could become, um, you know, overbearing or changes in the bylaws or grant of rights that would free up Texas and Oklahoma to leave. And we should have an idea of what those PAC 12 schools are thinking. I think in the next uh, 30 days or less, really. It's going to be fascinating for sure. Chip, if you were, if you were in the situation, if you were in Brett Yormark's situation and you're looking at the PAC 12 schools, the remaining PAC 12 schools, which ones would you consider adding to the big 12? Well, if, if expansion is the answer. Yeah. And I think you can make an argument to take um, all of them. I mean, as many that will come. I mean, you know, Oregon and Washington are the outliers, it seems. Arizona, the Arizona schools, Colorado, Utah make great geographic sense in the Big 12. Um, Cal and Stanford are very, you know, uh, unique, particular, quirky, uh, with their, their uh, academic focus. Yes, athletics focus. exactly. They mm -hmm. consider themselves to be so special that they almost see themselves as independent within a conference. Mm -hmm. Whereas Washington and Oregon, um, are, you know, they're athletic minded. They feel like they are, uh, you know, top end, um, premium properties in college athletics. But the bottom line is the big 10 isn't in a rush to add those two schools. They could, if they want to. So right now you have to look at them as like a tier two school. Right. And, 
And so that's where this thing gets interesting because there is going to be value for whatever the Big 12 does. Uh, if Fox is all in on the Big Ten network, ES and ESPN, let's say, gets shut out of the Big Ten, let's say Fox does a sub-licensing agreement with CBS or NBC or Apple and shuts ESPN out, ESPN is going to need that content. And they're going to come to the table when the Big 12 is up and they're going to probably present a deal similar to what the schools are making now. $42.6 million. It may not scale. It may not go much higher than that. And we know that the Big Ten and the SEC are estimated to go to $80 million, $100 million per school um, as their rights uh, agreements continue. Uh, but $42.6 million, not, not bad. I mean, schools have survived on that um, right now. And that's more than what Washington and Oregon are making in the Pac-12 right now. So it will be uh, interesting, but you have to be careful. Obviously, the more mouths you bring into feed, the more you have to dilute the pie. Right. That's why I think you start with the Arizona schools and Colorado and Utah, and and then you look at the landscape. And if Washington and Oregon are just going to be sitting there, then you you have to think seriously about about bringing them in and and hope that the the media rights game with the streaming giants coming in slowly, but surely Amazon has gotten into the NFL with Thursday night football, um, Apple, Netflix, they all have tons of money, but they don't need, uh, they don't need you to watch commercials like ABC, NBC, CBS do. That's why it's, you know, Apple, Netflix, Roku even are still trying to figure out how best they can monetize live sports and and so we're headed into an interesting time but i think um the big 12 is is going to be okay it's not going to be um you know financially on on the level of the big 10 or the sec but it's going to be uh, a solid place with uh much better payouts than even what the pac 12 has been making right one thing you have to consider though chip i think if you are brett yormark and talking about this Oregon and Washington's type of schools, when when the Big 12 expands, they're also adding Central Florida. So then geographically, do those schools make sense? Because you're literally requiring schools to travel from one side of the country all the way to the other. That doesn't make a lot of geographical sense. Football, you can argue that's fine. But when it comes to the other sports, that's that's a trek of a trip. I mean, it is not easy to go to Oregon or Washington from Texas. I mean, when I used to have to cover the opening, that that was still, I think it was like a four and a half hour flight. I mean, it, it is not a short trip in the slightest. It's almost kind of requiring the smaller or the quote unquote non-revenue sports, whatever you want to call them. I, I hate saying that. It makes I feel like it's like an, a knock on them, but it's requiring the student athletes to make the type of trips that are going to be required of UCLA and USC that don't really make a lot of sense if we're really looking out for the betterment of the student athletes, the best situation for them. That I feel like is something that will almost certainly have to enter the equation, wouldn't you think? Yeah. I mean, it it should. It should. It yeah. should. And, and you and I have talked about how USC and UCLA student athletes are going to have to bear the brunt of mm -hmm. being the outlier. I mean, yeah, yeah they're athletic departments are going to make a lot more money, uh, double what they're currently making more than that in some situations. 
Um, but the student athlete is going to suffer. I mean, their classroom is going to become an airplane. And, and so I think that's why there might be some hesitancy uh, about Washington and Oregon because they are the, they are the most remote outside of Hawaii. Right. When you're talking about the, the power five and, mm -hmm. and so, you know, that's where this thing's going to get interesting. And I think we'll have a pretty good idea in the next 30 days, what the PAC 12 schools, the remaining PAC 12 schools are thinking because the big 10 has said, we're not in a rush to add any more. They're waiting on Notre Dame that that's been their Moby Dick. They've been chasing that white whale for decades and they've never gotten them. I don't know that they're going to get them this time. Although, you know, I heard they may Brian, be in a better situation to get them. Maybe, right? Maybe, maybe because Brian Kelly, the former head coach of Notre Dame said at sec media days this week, it's musical chairs and there's the music's going to stop and there are not going to be enough chairs. And you just right. have to make sure that Notre Dame has a path to get to the playoff. And if they feel like that path is going to disappear, they have to, they're going to have to jump into a conference. So it's uh it's a big game of, of chess, uh, but the PAC 12 is going to have to show its hand first. And Brett Yormark sounds like he's ready and that's good for the big 12. And if there's enough change, it might mean a discount or maybe a technical mistake in those contracts that would allow Texas and Oklahoma to leave. The thing is, Taylor, I've had UT sources tell me they're okay with 2024. That's when ESPN starts their broadcast rights in the for SEC football because they feel like Texas needs that time to get its you know, get its football up to SEC standards that even 2023 might not be, um, you know, the, the best situation for Texas to go, but we'll right. see, we'll see how it plays out. Texas needs to get football up to par where Oklahoma needs the time to raise the funds pretty much is yeah. the current because, state of where because it's not only just the two years of media revenue, it's the penalty from breaking the grant of rights that puts it up, you know, 80 million, a hundred, uh, you know, over a hundred million, mm -hmm. uh, like $127 million just to leave a piece the big 12. Right. Right. A piece. Yeah. A piece. Yeah. So, uh, we $200 will... million dollar question right now. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's a lot of bread. And I'm convinced that ESPN and no one will say this. No one will, say this publicly or even think it until it absolutely has to happen. But ESPN, don't ever forget this, will still owe Texas $150 million uh, on the remaining uh, portion of the LHN contract after the 23-24 school year. So if Texas was going to the SEC in July of 24, ESPN would still owe Texas 150 million at that point for the remaining years on the LHN contract. And that just leads me to believe that ESPN will figure out a way to get Texas and Oklahoma into the SEC when they start broadcast rights for SEC football in 2024. All right, there you have it. Our recap of big 12 football media days, including, um, what what uh, Brett Yormark, what to make of his comments and uh, 
we should throw in the fact that uh, I did confirm today that Arterio Morris, who's been uh, charged with misdemeanor assault uh, stemming from a domestic violence uh, allegation from an ex-girlfriend uh, in Frisco in June, is still practicing with the basketball team. So uh, they are going to let the legal process play out. Arterio Morris still practicing with the basketball team. Of course, Ivan Melendez drafted. Uh, 43rd overall in the MLB draft by the Arizona Diamondbacks. He was steal taking of a pick. Steal of oh, a yeah. pick, in my opinion. What's that? Steal. Steal. It's a steal, I yeah. think. It's yeah, I agree. I think, uh, and he was also, uh, he's now teammates with Landon Sims, the pitcher from Mississippi State. He was taken uh, just a handful of picks ahead of him. So um, I have Melendez, an Arizona Diamondback. The MLB draft continues this week. Hey, everybody, thanks so much for listening to our recap of Big 12 Football Media Days for Taylor Estes. I am Chip Brown. We'll see you over at horns247.com. And until next time, stay safe and keep the faith.